Please be seated. I'd like to invite any of the children that are present with us tonight to come forward. We're going to start with a children's sermon. So children, if you, with your parents, or if you'd like to come by yourselves, if you're brave enough to do that, come forward, and uh, we'll make a semicircle here in front of the steps. forward here. Have a seat. I don't think there's enough room on the steps. So let's let's uh, fan out a little bit here with the poinsettias. All right. You guys mind sitting? Very good. Thank you for coming forward. Well, do we all know what day today is? Christmas Eve, right? The Eve of the Nativity of our Lord Jesus. That's the full name. Um, behind you, Father Ewing has my certificate of ordination. And on there is my full name along with a bunch of other words and a fancy wax seal. That's what that big red thing is on it. That means that the bishop has signed it. And you see, my name is Sean S., which stands for Stuart Templeton. Sean S. Templeton. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Can you see? All right. So what's in a name? What's in a name? Well, in my case, you know, my name uh, is not a family name. It's an Irish name, which our family comes from Ireland on one side. Stuart, however, is a family name that's been passed down to me. And then Templeton is my last name, right? And, and sometimes we call that a family name. Do you guys have last names? Yeah, of course you do, right? And, and what you share with your family, right? It says something very important about who you are, right? The fact that you're Collins and and it's your sisters, we know, because you share a last name. Or, or you know, you would get the idea, right? <laughs> Some families are very close. <laughs> now, Jesus has names too, doesn't he? When we, re we read today in Luke's Gospel, some names associated with Jesus, right? Can you tell me any that you might have heard? Christ? Anybody else? Any other names? Christ, right? Jesus, of course, right? Son of David, it's kind of a name. And Lord. Those are all names associated with Jesus, and they all mean different things, right? Just like your name means a different thing. So Jesus means God saves. God saves. Jesus has another name. Emmanuel, which we've sung tonight, which means God is with us. And so as we are in Christ, sometimes we're called Christians, right? Because 
It means that we're part of Jesus' family. And tonight's really important because tonight starts that all off. Because Jesus came down to be with us. That's right, Emmanuel's with us. We, we have someone who shares a name with Jesus. That's really exciting, isn't it? Yeah. So that's why we celebrate Christmas, because it's the beginning of our being part of Jesus' family. So remember, Jesus' names are important. And remember, your names are important. It defines who we are and who we'll be. All right. Thank you. You can go back to your parents now. Thanks for coming up and being so brave in front of all these people. Would you please pray with me? Lord, on this night in which we celebrate your coming to earth to be one of us, we ask that you would enkindle in our hearts a deeper love for you. Or if we haven't found you yet, Lord, that we would find in there a desire and love for you, to know you and to be known by you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What's in a name? Well, we're going to start the adult sermon with another name. Look with me, if you would, at the gospel reading from Luke. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. We read, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be enrolled. So begins that chapter, perhaps one of the most famous parts of Scripture, right? Certainly associated with, Christ with Christmas. We've heard that probably for years on end. Caesar Augustus's decree. And tonight I want to focus on the word decree because there are many decrees in the Scriptures tonight. And as I was reading Bishop N.T. Wright's Advent devotionals this year, it struck me as particularly profound just how many decrees are in tonight's scriptures. First of all, let's start out with what is a decree? What's a decree? Any thoughts? An order to do something, yeah, one of the meanings. Anybody else? An announcement, yes, it's an announcement. That's part of it, too. Well, I, I won't quiz you too much. I looked it up in the dictionary, so I've got the answers here. It's an order, and it's an announcement. It's a call. It's a command. It's a dictate. It's a direct and a mandate, an ordinance, and an order, is what Merriam-Webster says. It comes from the Latin, dissonere, meaning to sift or decide. To sift, decide, decree. So now you kind of get an idea of what we're going for. And as I was looking at the scriptures tonight, like I said before, it struck me of just how many decrees are found in these scriptures. Turn through them with me a little bit. Do you have any guesses how many decrees are found between the Old Testament, 
the Song of Isaiah, the New Testament reading in Hebrews, the Gospel? A couple of thousand? Well, that's probably a bit much. But perhaps allusions to, there are certainly at least nine by my count direct decrees found in these passages of Scripture. And we started tonight's gospel lesson out with one not from God, but from whom? Caesar. Caesar Augustus. And what does Caesar Augustus decree? He decrees that the whole world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be enrolled, each to his own city, we read. And Joseph went from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. The end of verse 5. So what is this enrollment we're talking about? It's a census. Caesar has ordered a census to be taken. And this census is to be taken throughout the entire Roman world. The Bible says the world, um, the entire known world at that time. So if you think of the Roman Empire, that's going from modern-day Spain all the way over to uh, parts of Persia and maybe even in a little bit into Afghanistan. It depends on the year and who's, who's fighting whom. But the, the Roman world is huge, right? And so Caesar with this decree, this word from his mouth, upsets the entire world. Think about it. Mary and Joseph have to travel from their home all the way to Bethlehem. And they're not alone in that. Everybody's doing that. Talk about complete commotion and chaos, right? Caesar's decree brings chaos to the world. But there's also many more of God's decrees in these passages, which also shake the world, but ultimately bring about an order, a goodness. God's decrees about Jesus Christ would shake everything, from the highest angelic thoughts to the laws of physics and nature itself. Think about it. Who Jesus is affects everything from the angels down to the sea whom he commands when he says, be still in the Gospels. Isaiah proclaims many of God's decrees too. As we sung, Isaiah foretold it. That is Jesus. And so if we look in Isaiah, for example, in chapters 1 through 5, God's decrees upon Judah are not so good because Judah is a sinful nation. Chapter 5, verse 12 through 14 reads this way. They have the lyre and the harp, tambourine and flute, and wine at their feasts, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the works of his hands. Therefore my people go into exile. The multitude will go down. That's a decree of God. But that's not the final decree of God. Because in Isaiah, there's also much hope. He speaks of a chosen one who will offer salvation both to the Jews and to the people of the whole world. We began tonight's service 
with Isaiah's words, if you recall. The Christmas acclamation is taken from the book of Isaiah. It's on page 3, where we said, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And throughout the book of Isaiah, the prophet proclaims that God alone can save his people. His people can't save themselves. They're a giant failure. The Old Testament's a record of failure after failure of their ability to save themselves. But look at God's decree in Isaiah's Song of the Chosen about this person who will come to save them. It's on page 5. The Song of the Chosen. There shall come forth a shoot from the stock of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This is God's decree in the Old Testament. And in Isaiah 52, we continue to hear about another decree, and that was the first lesson which Father Joshua read to us tonight from Isaiah 52. Look with me at verse 7, and this is also on page 5 of your service booklet. How does it start? How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good tidings, who publishes peace, who brings good tidings of good, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Who is it upon whom the Spirit of God will rest? Who is it that will bring glad tidings, publish peace, and publish salvation? I'm sure you can guess if you don't already know. But let's look at God's New Testament decree. See how consistent God is between Old and New Testaments. Once again, return with me to the Gospel on page 9. Luke's Gospel. For here we see instead of Caesar's decree, look with me at God's decree spoken not through a prophet this time, but by angels, messengers of God. Look at verses 10 through 14. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will come to all people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. These angels... These messengers are decreeing from God who Jesus is. So it's really interesting that they're decreeing from God about God who God is. Each of these decrees, as I was telling the children, are names. And they're incredibly powerful. They shake everything from the highest angelic thoughts down to nature itself. They affect creation. And most importantly, at least for us, they affect you and me our relationship with God. I call them the three S's. They're decrees from God about Jesus. The first S, Jesus is sovereign. Sovereign. It means a king, a monarch. He's 
son of David, we're told in this scripture, which means that he's royalty, and therefore a son of Jesse, who's David's father that Isaiah tells about. Secondly, the second S, we read that this is a son, a son, a son of man who is also a Lord. But who is it that angels can call Lord? As the Hebrews reading tells us, angels call no man Lord. Who is it that angels call Lord? God himself. Jesus, therefore, is a son, not just of man, but a son of God and Lord of the angels. Thirdly, the third S, God in Jesus is declared and decreed to be Savior, Savior, long foretold of the prophets. And he's a Savior of all mankind. So he's a sovereign, he's a son, he's a Savior. Let's begin with what it means that he's a sovereign. He's a monarch, as I've said. He's a new king. What's that mean? Well, on a human level, politically, we know what kings are, right? Kings establish order. Kings establish kingdoms. And on a human level, we also know that at the time of Jesus' birth, it had been about 600 years since the son of David had sat on the throne. So when they heard that Jesus was a king, they immediately would have thought political. Finally, somebody here to overthrow those dirty Romans, that scumbag Herod, the pretender king. But no, Jesus later on tells Pontius Pilate his kingdom is not of this world, though it hugely affects this world. For you see, when Jesus came, he didn't overthrow the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire lasted a long time, and yet Jesus' kingdom went long after the Roman Empire, right? The Roman Empire came and went. The Greek Empire came and went. The Holy Roman Empire came and went. The United States will come and go. But one kingdom will remain. The kingdom of our God. The kingdom of Jesus. For he is sovereign, not just of this earth, but sovereign of eternity. The king whose reign shall never end, we're told. And on that night, the shepherds were watching their flocks, and I'm sure they hardly expected to see or hear about the birth of a king. And yet, here the lowliest shepherds were privileged to do that. And it was of such men and women that this kingdom would be built, the kingdom that we call the church. A kingdom not just of Jews, but of all nations, of all peoples. We'll get back to that. As the angel decreed in Luke 2.10, this was to be a joy for all peoples. And this sovereign's reign that begun in Bethlehem would never end. The sovereign son of David was much more than just a son of David. For God decreed him not just sovereign, but our second S, son. Son. Son of man, Son of God, the Lord. The angel proclaims God's decree that this baby is born in Bethlehem, not just as a new king, but as a Lord in 2.11. 
And what does it mean when we say Christ is the Lord? We've gotten so used to that phrase, I fear, that it's lost its meaning for us. Look with me at page 24 in this gospel, where we will hear in, in this gospel, in which we hear right before this part what John tells us. So this is the final gospel on page 24. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. To see, John gives us another piece of the puzzle that Jesus is a Son of the Father. St. John reveals to us why we call this baby Lord, why angels call this baby Lord, not just we human beings, because he's the Son of God. And in case it wasn't clear enough to us, in our New Testament lesson, the author of the book of Hebrews explains it further. Look with me at now at page 7. Father Ewing read for us this rather lengthy Hebrews passage, in which I admit you can get lost. But look with me at chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. For to what angel did God ever say, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Do you see, this decree of God becoming man, becoming a human being, shakes who, most of all? Think of the angels. Don't think of yourselves first here. Who does this shake the most? Who would be quaking in his boots at the coming of the Son of God? That angel who was fallen, whom we know as Satan. Right? This shakes the very foundations of his pretended kingdom here on this earth. Remember, Satan was cast out of heaven when he rebelled against God and he was sent down here to earth. Genesis 3 isn't the beginning of the story, but the continuation of it, where God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, but this serpent comes into the garden and tricks Eve, right? Tricks her into sinning. So do you see how Jesus coming into the world, the Son of God, is shaking, shattering to Satan's dominion. When Satan challenges God, God becomes man. The last thing that an angel would ever suspect. And it is a glorious thing. For in that, he has redeemed all humanity. Meaning, the form of human beings. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the, suf because of the suffering and death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So not only does God become man in Jesus, his son, to shatter Satan's kingdom, but to taste death for all who live under Eve's decision and Adam's decision, and therefore die. God's decree that the Word becomes flesh and Jesus' willingness to do so was a brilliant double victory. 
Don't miss that. For as a man, God overthrows Satan and his angels and saves his most beloved creatures made in his own image. That's where it comes down to you and me. Because that's where we fit into the equation. And there's a deeply theological decree shaking the thoughts of angels that shakes everything down to us. Because Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man, He can be our Savior. There's a logical link there. Because He's Son of God and Son of Man, therefore He can die the perfect die for man, you and I, who are sinful. He dies the death that we deserve, but couldn't bear. Bishop Lancelot Andrews preached a sermon on Christmas morning in 1606, and perhaps he puts it best, so I'll let him speak, explaining this. He says, Jesus' life, you see, both his divine nature and his human nature. At his birth, you see a cradle for a child and a star for the divine son. The shepherds honor the baby boy. The choir of angels celebrate the birth of God's son. In his life, you see him hungry, showing his human nature, and yet still feeding the 5,000, showing his divine abilities. At his death, he dies on the cross like any man, and yet opens up paradise as only the Son of God could. You see, in the final analysis, Jesus Christ is not just decreed by God to be sovereign Son and Savior, but there's one other piece. Jesus isn't just decreed to be so, but is the decree itself. Did you ever think about that? Jesus isn't just the agent of the decree. He's the decree itself. What do I mean? He's not just those things about God that God decrees. He's God. For Jesus, the sovereign Son and Savior, existed long before He was born in that stable on that night in Bethlehem. As the Apostle John writes, and that so we'll hear at the end of tonight's service, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then we get perhaps to the best part, certainly for us. And to all who receive him, he gave the power to become children of God. On this night that we celebrate the coming of God as a child, I pray that you are a child of God. And if you aren't, may God reveal himself to you in a new way. And may this story show you just how much God loves you, that he sent his son decreeing him to come, to die, to be buried, to rise again from death and to ascend back to heaven, to shake the foundations of the earth, but to open for you and I the gates of paradise. Amen.